Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. So, Mara, when we announced that Peter Ruckel and Christian Alfonso were returning to Days as Bowen Hope for the second installment of the Peacock series Beyond Salem, I indicated that there would be more casting news in the weeks ahead. And now we can finally talk about the fact that the show has hired Steve Burton to be a part of the cast as well. As you know, Steve left the role of General Hospital's Jason in late 2021 over the show's vaccine mandate, but he has long ties to Salem. It's where he got his soap start in 1988 in the role of Harris Michaels, which Steve talked about when we podcasted with him. So he said he had only been hired at the time to do 10 episodes and then it turned into more, but laughed that he could not act at the time. Well, nine daytime Emmy nominations and two wins later, I would argue that he's learned a thing or two since then. The show isn't revealing his character name just yet, so we'll wait and see about that. This peacock offshoot of days has proven to be the gift that keeps on giving when it comes to casting jaw droppers, doesn't it? I said when we first talked about Peter and Christian that I did not have their return to Salem on my 2022 Soap News bingo card. And I can tell you that I even less expected Steve Burton to take part in Beyond Salem, but it will be fun to see how he is utilized. Uh, other bits of casting news we can share is that Michael E. Knight is back in action on GH's Martin, who will reunite with Lynn Herring's Lucy on air this coming week. And we will also see Chris Van Etten's Chet return to Port Charles. He was last seen hitting it off with Terry. And when he gets back to town, we will see them reconnect as well. You know, I like that they're using those two characters and I'm curious to see like where they're going with it, I will admit. Um, now, April was a pretty explosive month across the dial, but in our new issue, we have our Mace Reeves preview from every show and there is going to be a lot going down. On Bold and the Beautiful, Steffi will have total recall that Sheila shot her and killed Finn, which will impact a lot of the action on the canvas. On Days of Our Lives, the devil story will come to a dramatic conclusion and rope in Eric, John, Marlena, and more. On General Hospital, Sonny will be forced to choose sides, and Carly's investigation will have ripple effects across Port Charles. And on Young and the Restless, Victor will ramp up his efforts to get rid of Ashland while Victoria second-guesses her feelings for her lying husband. You know, I think the build to sweeps has been pretty intense across the daytime dial, hasn't it? You know, major character deaths and villains busted and big secrets revealed. I think it's a good storytelling sign when there is so much drama to play that shows can afford to pack April with such important moments. But I have to say, I was 
totally surprised that the beat of Steffi remembering that Sheila pulled the trigger was coming this quickly. Like I thought we might be looking at summer or even May 2023 on that one. (laughs) Me too. I mean, to think that the baby Beth story went on for eight months from January to August and here it's not even eight weeks. Yeah. I'm so excited that we will get to the drama sooner rather than later. And knowing Brad Bell, the show's executive producer and head writer, he has more up his sleeve for this story. Uh, Now, we've also got a fun feature in the new issue in celebration of Mother's Day. We interviewed four real-life moms whose son or daughter grew up to star on a soap, including Maureen Pohl, mother of Avery Pohl, GH's Esme, who is our guest today. So let's check in and see how playing poor Charles's new bad girl is going for her. Hi, Avery. Hello. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? We're good. We're so happy you're with us today. Uh, We've been wanting to talk to you, first of all, just because we don't know that much about you, but also because your story is awesome, and we just want to hear more about the person behind Esme. Mm -hmm. So, thank you so much. (laughs) I'm excited. Let's do this. (laughs) All right. Well, you were born in Florida and got your in-front-of-the-camera start very young as a model, so tell us about how that happened. Yes. So I actually sort of fell into it in a way. My older brother, who's 15, almost 16 years older than I am, um, had a friend who was like, dude, you can get paid like a hundred bucks to get pictures taken of you. And they give you pizza and stuff. My brother in middle school was like, oh, this sounds great. Um, I would love to do that. So my mom sort of helped him out with that. And we start, he started traveling to like Miami and New York city at that point to pursue a modeling career. He was with Ford models for a while. Um, and he did that, I think through high school pretty much. And I was born as at, at some point in his modeling journey. And my mom had me, um, on her hip for an agency meeting and they kind of went, Hey, do you want her to work too? And my mom's like, I've been sitting in a hell's kitchen apartment in New York city with no AC all summer with a screaming baby. Yes. Get me out of this apartment. So that's sort of how it all started. And I believe my first job was when I was nine months old. It might've been for Carter's. I'm not positive. Uh, but yeah, that's just sort of how it all started. And I think one thing led to another and then you kind of you just see where stuff goes. Yeah. So what are your earliest memories of modeling? I imagine a little older than nine months. Yes. Unfortunately, <laughs> I do not remember my first job. Um, I, I remember bits and pieces of modeling. I believe I stopped modeling by the time I was 11 or 12, but I don't remember where they all land chronologically, but I remember doing a lot of things at specific beaches in Miami. And I remember working a lot for Children's Place, most specifically. I remember doing an original Marine shoot in Key West for a while, where they were all trying to coordinate about nine children's hair for a sunset shot. And that was the definition of crunch time. And uh, yeah, the first one... I don't, I, yeah, I don't think I remember any super early, but I do remember my first commercial, which I was five and it was for home goods. And I remember telling the producers that I could hula hoop. And I believe that video is still on YouTube somewhere. And you will find out that I absolutely cannot. (laughs) (laughs) Even then you were uh, putting special skills that you didn't have. Yeah, totally. Oh yeah. I got to start it young, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, well, aside from non-hula hooping, uh, what were the other activities and interests you had as a kid? Um, I started out dancing when I was super young. So I think I was about three and I absolutely love that. It actually started out as a form of physical therapy because I was very uncoordinated as a child to say the least. I, if I knew what um, my hands were doing, I had no idea what my feet were doing. I had a sensory integration issue and dancing was recommended by doctors on top of like physical therapy and stuff. So that's really where it started. And I just kind of fell in love with it. That's the first thing I remember truly loving doing. And I tried competition dance team for a year. That wasn't really for me. So then I just sort of stuck with ballet. Also, I had no rhythm. So um, I was like, this seems a little bit easier. I can count to eight. That works. Um, and yeah, I, I did that. And then I think I tried gymnastics for a little bit, but didn't fall in love with that as much. Um, and then I did stunt training for a while and absolutely loved that. I thought that was so different and so fun. And then I tried an art class in kindergarten. Wasn't good at that. Um, and I always wanted to try soccer, but I was absolutely terrible at it. And with my whole dance schedule and modeling schedule at the time, it never really worked out that I got to do it. But my older brother was very good at it. My younger brother liked it for a while. So I thought I'd give it a shot. But um, alas, it is what it is. <laughs> and then in middle school, I picked up basketball. When you look back at your childhood and the, you know, your pathway to discovering your interest in acting, like, how do you think that interest developed and sparked? I, I think that's a little tricky just because when I was younger, it was all modeling based and you just sort of go, Oh, Hey, I'm going to go drive 11 hours and we're going to go do this casting and we're going to go do this job or whatever. And I, I loved doing that. I thought it was just like hanging out with friends all day and you know, you get your job done. And I think even as like a little kid, I kind of understood that professionalism thing of like, okay, you're here to do a job and let's do this and um, get in and out as fast as possible. So everybody can go home. And um, then I started doing a couple commercials and I found that I really loved that and then I booked a movie when I was eight. And I think it was more so things in, in a very strange way just sort of worked out. And it was something that I just enjoyed. But I don't think at that age, I really had the capacity to know, oh, yeah, this is absolutely what I want to do with my life. I want to make a full-fledged career out of this. You're just thinking as a kid, oh, hey, this is fun. I'm not in school today. This is great. And then... <laughs> By the time I was 15, that's really when I went, okay, no, I really don't think I can see myself pursuing anything else seriously and being truly happy with my life path. Um, so that's when things clicked for me. And I was living with a friend of mine at the time and she was also an actress. And I think that was very motivating in a way because, you know, you're all going out for the same stuff pretty much. And you're getting so excited for each other and you keep getting close and not getting stuff. And you're with each other through that sort of like heartbreak as well. And yeah, I'm going to say 15 is when the flip happened or the switch was flipped. Mm -hmm. Now your parents are not in showbiz. So what was the reaction to you wanting to become an actress? Both of my parents have been incredibly supportive in, um, in, in different ways. And I would not be here without them in, in the slightest, but I think my mom was happy too. She's very nomadic person. So getting to travel to a bunch of places she really enjoyed. And yeah, they, they were supportive for sure. I, I think especially 
going through phases where you're like, oh, I don't know necessarily um, what I want to do with my life because I'm a 12 year old. And <laughs> um, yeah, it was, I, I think I can just really say that I wouldn't be here without them. So it's one thing to kind of have dabbled or done a commercial here or there or what have you, a movie you said. It's another to like really try to pursue this as a career and break into a business that is not that easy to break into. So how did you go about it? I love that you brought that up, first of all, because sometimes I don't even know. Um, I, I really think that it's just taking the small wins until they turn into something bigger. And I've always really been a person that likes to be hyper-competitive with themselves. And I love working hard. And if I'm passionate about something, look out. Um, and I was really passionate about this and I, I wanted to do well and I wanted to push myself and I wanted to see how far I could go. And I wanted to grow as an artist and I wanted to grow as a person and an actor as well. So I really just put one foot in front of the other. And I think that this industry has really taught me a lot in terms of you have a lot more losses before you get a win. And it's a very humbling experience in a lot of ways, but it's, it's also fun in a very odd way as well, because you're learning a lot about yourself and you're learning how to navigate a little bit of heartbreak here and there. And there have definitely been some jobs where I was like incredibly disappointed that I didn't, didn't get them. But when you do get to have those wins, you really have to celebrate them because that's what kind of motivates you to keep going and having people that are supportive of you. Like I absolutely love um, my agents and my managers and they've been incredibly supportive through this process too. And what I tell people really is you just, you have to keep going. If this is something you love, of course, some things are going to get in the way, but you have to treat it as if nothing's going to get in the way of you doing what you want to do and what you love. So put one foot in front of the other because it only really takes one yes. Mm -hmm. Well, to that point, I mean, actors for the most part say they get more no's than yeses. You know, were you the kind of person who handled rejection well or how did you handle it at all? I think for the most part, I was able to handle it pretty well because I had spent my entire life being rejected. Um, <laughs> and so it was just sort of like it's par for the course. But that doesn't mean that there weren't some projects that you get really close for or emotionally invested in that you really, really want. Like I got close for season four of Stranger Things. That one hurt. I tested for Big Shot on Disney Plus. That one really hurt. Um, and I am still friends with a bunch of that cast now and I absolutely love them. And I got some really great friendships out of that. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. But um, I got pretty close for a couple episodes of Supergirl and there, there's just, there's things over the years that you're like, oh, that would have been so much fun. And you can play the what if game, but it's really not, not worth it, you know? Um, because I think when it comes to auditioning and when I, I was having a conversation with someone about this last night, actually, when you're right for the part, everyone else is going to know it kind of thing. So when it's your time and when things fall into place, you just have to show up, do your work. And the rest of it's kind of already sealed for you because I mean, even with just GH, I think I was one of over 600 self tapes. I don't know what made me stand out. I felt like it was just another self tape, you know? So even though I was 
pretty confident in the character type because I knew that I had played something similar before and it's one of my favorite kinds of characters to play. I, I felt confident in that, but I wasn't like super invested thinking, oh yeah, I know this one's totally mine. Like that was never there for me, even up through testing. Um, but from what I heard from Mark and some other people around set, it, the story goes that it was kind of from the beginning that I was who they had in mind, which is just kind of insane to me that out of 600, they watched a tape and they liked it. Um, but that being said, I think they have an idea of what they're looking for and you're either going to fit that or you're going to not. And just because you don't fit, it doesn't mean you're not doing good work. And it doesn't mean that something else isn't right around the corner because you have 600 plus people auditioning for a role. And guess what? Only one person gets to get it. And that doesn't mean that somebody else didn't really want this role that I auditioned for and wasn't super emotionally invested in it. And it doesn't mean that there wasn't heartbreak along the way for other people. So I try to be cognizant of that and very appreciative for the situation that um, I, I've found myself in because I've been on the other side countless times and it, it can suck, but really I, I think the right thing comes along at the right time. Mm -hmm. So are there projects that you did prior to GH that you would consider like your top wins? counteracting these these no's that you got? I think wins can look very different in certain situations. Um, I consider Dirty John a win for sure because I initially went into uh, audition for a guest star and I had wanted to see that office for years. They cast Grey's Anatomy, which is on the same lot as us now. So weird how the universe works sometimes. Um, but I wanted to see them for a very, very long time because I just, I loved the projects that they cast and I thought that they were a really cool office to get to see. And I finally got to go in and I did not get the guest star, but the director liked me enough, uh, to direct book me on a co-star, which I hadn't had happen in acting before. So I was like, Oh, that's super fun. And I hadn't worked in two years at that point. So getting that sort of win was really nice. And I was with a semi-new manager at the time that I don't think I had booked anything with previously. So that was a huge win. And it was just an experience because I was getting to go work with Emmy-nominated uh, Emmy directors and actors. So it was, it was a really cool experience. It was one day on set, but it really meant the world to me. Okay. So let's talk about uh, the year 2020. Uh, never having gone out for a soap before, you suddenly got, I think, a, a couple of opportunities to audition for daytime shows, including for the role of uh, Jordan Faith's friend on YNR. <laughs> so did you know anything about soaps and working on soaps prior to that? I had absolutely no idea <laughs> what soaps were like. I just knew that my mom had watched them in the 80s. And she watched Young and the Restless, General Hospital, um, and maybe one or two other ones, but all my children, maybe as the world turns, I can't remember. Um, I was not around to watch them with her <laughs> at that point. So um, I just knew that there was a lot of content and that's sort of all I knew about it. Um, yeah. So I was just treating it like any other audition. And I knew that there was kind of like a flair for the dramatics in some ways. Um, but aside <laughs> from that, I just really treated it like an audition that I would have for anything else. Like you try and find the tone of the show, obviously. So I would watch clips, but I didn't really make any drastic changes from what I would have done for an ABC primetime audition. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, well then, fast forward to last year, GH was casting a role of Esme. As you've said, you were one of 600 then girls who auditioned. So when you were called then after your self-tape to do an in-person read, you know, did that make you nervous? Like, were you out of practice? Especially because there had been like a COVID shutdown at that point. Yes, so GH is actually the only in-person audition I have had since COVID which is just absolutely wild to me. But I had actually booked out with um, my managers about two hours before I got that phone call from Tony Martinez, who's um, manager extraordinaire. And he was like, Avery, you're not gonna be happy with me. I was like, what, why Tony? He was like, oh, um, you actually have a call back. I was like, okay for which project because i mean there had been a couple weeks in between so a couple other auditions had come through and i was like oh okay i remember that one i remember saying oh i know this character got you okay (laughs) so it was more of a like logistical thing because i had to drive to arizona that weekend to see a friend of mine so reorganizing that whole weekend to make sure i made it to COVID tests and callbacks and stuff like that and um possibly rearranging flights for a summer trip um so that i did end up changing but so happy i did and um so i think it was more of like the logistical sense of it but i was very nervous to go in for an in-person audition just because it had been so long but i ran into some girls in the elevator and they were like this is my first time doing an in-person audition since COVID. And then I really relaxed because I was like, okay, everybody's in the same boat. It'll be fine. And Mark is just so warm and inviting and had a whole announcement to everybody in the hallway beforehand being like, hey guys, we realize this is new and it's new for us too. I believe I was the first role to be cast from an in-person callback, not screen test. So I was like, oh wow, that's that's big. So everybody was kind of trying to figure out what was going to work and what wasn't. And I got to go in second or third, which I think was really great because there were already like 20 people in the hallway. And I think if I had to sit with it even longer, it would have progressively mentally gotten worse. Um, But yeah, it was a fun, quick audition. It was the first audition I hadn't had on tape in years. And Frank was in the room. Nika was in the room. Lisa was in the room. And so was Mark. And it was really quick and easy. It was kind of like, hi, okay, go ahead. I did it once. And then I was like, all right, great. Thanks. Bye. And that was the audition. I called my manager afterwards and I was like, well, there were way more people there than I expected. So we'll just see. And I went home and took a nap because I had driven like 17 hours over the (laughs) course of the weekend before going. (laughs) Well, uh, if I remember this timeline correctly, you found out within like a few hours that GH wanted you to screen test. I did. I called Tony. I drove the 15 minutes home. I immediately got into bed. And I think within like 10 minutes of me at- attempting to take a nap, I got a call from <laughs> both of my managers. So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> this is probably a screen test, <laughs> um, which I was happy to do. I immediately got on the phone with Delta, was on the phone for, I think, 14 hours to change my flight. <laughs> and yep, moved some things around and hey, it all worked out. So it was worth it. All right. Well, I believe at that point, you also called in a secret weapon, a friend of your dad's to help prepare you 
for uh, for that experience. So tell us who your dad's friend is and how they helped you get ready for that screen test. I did. I talked to the wonderful Rodney Van Johnson, who actually went to college with my dad and they were on the track team at the University of Cincinnati. And Rodney Van Johnson was on Passions and Port Charles back in the day. So it was just such an interesting thing to kind of have. Um, it, it was such an interesting way to get to talk to Rodney because my dad has absolutely no connection to the entertainment industry whatsoever. So then coming back and kind of hearing like, Oh, Hey, I actually have a friend and a connection for you was a very strange situation to be in. I had actually met um, Rodney a year and a half before that, while I was filming another project because my dad was in town and so was my little brother on spring break and they were going to visit me on set. So my dad was like, actually, my friend lives here now. I want to see him. I haven't seen him in years. And yeah, so that that was fun. And he really helped give me a breakdown of the technical and logistics side of soaps, which was so incredibly valuable because I had no idea what it was like going in. I had never worked with a multicam setup. I had never um, done a soap. So it was really, really valuable information. And I will thank him till the day I die on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and he's just, he's such a nice dude. He's so funny. He's so hardworking. I really enjoy uncle Rodney and I have seen him a couple of times since we'll grab dinner occasionally. Um, but yeah, just a super great dude. And the fact that he was willing to go meet me in a random park, um, <laughs> in Van Nuys was just amazing of him on short <laughs> notice too. <laughs> Well, this is his second shout out because we also talked about him when we did Brooke Kerr's podcast because as you know, he played her father TC on Passions and so Rodney's getting a lot of love here. Um, <laughs> so, yes, I actually talked to Brooke in the green room one day and I was like, do you know, do you know Rodney Van Johnson? He told me that like, you know, your uh, story on Passions and da, da 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 and she was like, oh my gosh, yes. And Brooke is such a sweetheart. I absolutely adore her. We actually have the same birthday, so um, that's fun little tidbit. <laughs> well, what stands out to you about the experience of doing the screen test, which I think was the first time you also met Ida McCoy, who plays Jocelyn. The screen test, um, was very fun. And I was sort of in between whether or not I was going to be going out of the country in 48 hours or whether or not I was going to be working in 48 hours. So it was very much an in-between point that was, fun to get to ex experience. And I was sort of walking around the halls and getting introduced to people and meeting Mark and signing deals and um, going to hair and makeup and figuring out wardrobe for screen tests. And it's very exciting sort of whirlwind of a time because you're in a space where you don't really know anybody yet. And um, I was introduced to Frank officially and Eden was in the room and we got to rehearse. And I had heard Eden's name like within friend groups before. So I was like, Oh, I feel like we have some mutual friends or something. So that was kind of comforting to know that there was somebody that was, you know, within a circle of friends that I knew. Um, and I was honestly surprised we hadn't met yet, but interesting how stuff works out sometimes. And the test was a very interesting experience because beforehand I hadn't really let myself mentally get too invested in it because I had been in a testing situation before and I didn't get it. And I know how much that hurt. So I was like, okay, I'm going to tread lightly this time, not get so invested in overconfident or anything. And, um, I think that was a good choice because I was way more relaxed in my read and in my test 
Um, but as I kept talking to people, I went, oh, I feel like this is really where I was supposed to be. There were just several things that fell into place that um, I'm, I'm really glad that I get to work with the people that I work with. And it's been such a learning experience and I've learned so much behind the scenes as well as in front of the camera. And I, I really appreciate everybody that's helped give me an opportunity here because it's really, really invaluable to me. And I'm just super, super grateful. So how did you find out that you got the job? So I believe I screen tested on a Monday, possibly a Tuesday. Oh, it was Monday. And I went home. I was like, all right, I'm calling my managers. This is how it went. I was like, guys, it's going to be a late phone call. I don't want to do that to you. And they're like, call us. We don't care. <laughs> um, and I knew that the job was working uh, the next or that same Wednesday. So I figured we would probably know either that night or the following morning. And I woke up the following morning, got some much needed rest. And I was like, okay, I'm sitting on my couch. I could just sit here and freak out knowing that I'm either going to get great news that impacts the next three years of my life or be sorely disappointed. So I'm just going to go clean a bathroom, you know, <laughs> distract myself, do something fancy. Um, and so like five minutes into that, I got a call from my manager and he's like, all right, hold on. I got a loop in Jake, who's my other manager who was on vacation in Mexico about to propose to his girlfriend who, um, is, now his wife, as of a couple of days ago. <laughs> yes. Congratulations to Aaron and Jake. They're adorable. Um, and I was like, this is either really good or it's really bad. And I just started kind of talking about, Oh, how's Mexico? What are you and Aaron doing? Da, 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 da. And my manager, Tony goes, Jake, this is how you know she's a good actress. She's pretending to care about your vacation. <laughs> I was like, no, I genuinely do. Yeah, like, I'm very interested, but I hope you're having a great time. And he was like, I'll stop now. You got it. I was like, oh my gosh. Wow. I was really at a loss for words. My agent, Harold, was looped in who did my deal. And it was, it was really fun because I had definitely been on the phone with all of them before when they have to deliver the news that, you know, you don't get something and you just kind of burst into tears and you're like, great. I've just cried in front of my managers. And um, <laughs> so it was, it was really nice to have it be a positive phone call. And I've been with um, Jake for five plus years. I've known Tony for three. I've been with Harold for three. And I think it was one of those like, Oh, finally in a way. And I was super happy to like, finally get to be able to um, give them a cut of a okay paycheck. <laughs> I was like, oh, I did one, one job for one day here. Here's like a hundred bucks and you're working so hard for me all the time. So I was really glad to like finally get to give them at least a portion of what I think they deserve. Um, and so that was, that was nice and that was fun. And I, I, I think it was just kind of crazy. You're signing up for something that's three years of your life when a, a lot of other times you might get a pilot where you don't know what's going to happen for a year or you get a straight to series show that you get that season and you work those six or seven months and then you wait for a huge chunk of time in between to maybe get renewed, but you're still signing a six year contract. So it was, it, it was really like a big change. And I, I think the way I kind of am as a person fits really well with soap operas because it is very fast paced and there is a lot of work and I really love that. And you get to work year round. And I think that that's super fun and not something you always get to do here. So I, I really love that. 
Well, what did it mean to you personally in terms of, you know, just your life and your decision to become an actress to then sign a contract with the longest running soap on television? I was freaking out, not going to lie. When I got my test out, I immediately called my dad and I was like, ah, what? Three years? Oh my God, that's pretty much college. Um, <laughs> and it just was kind of overwhelmed. That's how I got in contact with Rodney because my dad's like, you need somebody to calm you down. And I don't really know how to do that in this situation. So let's go talk to Rodney. And um, that was helpful. And I think it was just one of those, wow, that's a, that's a commitment. And it's a commitment that's not necessarily in your hands right off the bat because you can go and do the best job that you can do. But at the end of the day, you're not the one making this decision on whether or not you get that job. So you could be signing a piece, or, piece of paper and it doesn't really mean that much or it means everything. So I think that was a big like mental thing to like uh, sort of wrap my head around. But I can't believe I get to be part of like really history in, in a lot of ways. It's just so many people have gotten to perform on this show and it's had so many storylines and it's, it really takes something special to last this long. And I think we have really cool writers and producers and execs. And I, I mean, Frank, the show is like his baby and he really puts a lot into it. And I think he really, really works hard for everybody. And our crew is just absolutely incredible. They're there such long hours day in, day out, and they're really good at what they do. And, you know, we get to do this really amazing job where we get to play pretend for a living and we get to share stories and we get to entertain people. Like it, it's just, it's still insane to me. Like the fact that we get to do this and call it our jobs. It's just so fun. And, um, I, I feel really lucky and honored to get to be a part of a show that's entertained people for so long. So, uh, all right. You, you said that you felt like you're like, I know this girl. So mm -hmm. what was your approach to Esme going in? I don't think I could go back and watch the first episode that I ever filmed because I'm pretty sure I had three lines, all of which were in French and I managed to mess up two out of the three, but they <laughs> kept it. So it is what it is. Um, and uh, the amount of bloopers I have that made it on air, like there was one the other day where I'm literally falling off my shoe. <laughs> Nobody seemed to care. <laughs> I've had stuff in the background where a purse falls off and I make a ridiculous face and it's in there. Um, you can find it, I'm sure. And it's just, it is what it is. And it's, it's fun. And that's kind of the beauty of it too. Um, it's a lot of stuff is spontaneous sometimes. Um, but in terms of Esme starting out, I felt like I really knew the basis of the character, but I was really only working with a one sentence character description. I'm pretty sure it said something along the lines of intelligent and charming on the outside, but cool and menacing underneath. And I was like, okay, I can work with that. Um, and I started working with Holly and we put our basis on the, the background for the character. And I think that was incredibly helpful because I was kind of going from auditioning where you're just told make bold choices and make a decision and show what you can show in these four pages versus a soap where you have hundreds and thousands of pages worth of material to get to see a character progress, which I don't know. Acting in LA, everyone teaches you how to audition. No one teaches you how to be a series regular. I feel like that's something you almost have to navigate on your own. And of course you can talk to your co-stars about it or people who have done other shows before, but I think that is something you do have to figure out on your own. And it's going to be such a unique experience given whatever genre it is, given the character, 
and fill in the blank on whatever else. But in terms of Esme, I feel like I took that one sentence and I kind of ran with it and I filled in what I wanted to fill in for her backstory and why she was where she was and the reasoning behind who she was. And it wasn't until about two or three months ago that I really got like a full breakdown of her, of her history from the writers, which it almost ended up being pretty much exactly what I had filled in for myself. So that worked. Uh, (laughs) Thank God. But I, I think that there was definitely a huge shift for me a couple of months ago in terms of filming. And I don't know if it's readable to the audience or not, but in terms of who Esme was and what kind of complexity she she brings to every scenario that she's in, given that I think that push of having extra information was really, really valuable. And I felt like I could connect to her in a very different way, knowing that that information was sort of concrete now. And I know at first, like what I really struggled with was learning to connect with her on an emotional level and that would manifest itself in tears because I just, I really struggled with it at first, which was quite surprising to me because I normally didn't have a problem with that with auditions for other characters, but I think it was because she was so cool and menacing and everything was from a place of manipulation. And you're in this filming scenario where, you know, you only get one or two takes. So that kind of jumps into your psyche at some point. So you're like the pressure's on. Um, And that was kind of difficult to navigate at first, but then having that added information and also having the added practice in the history and more scenes of course helps. But I really felt like there was a switch for me and it's been super fun, but I still feel as if I have a long way to grow both as Esme and as an actor and working on my craft. And I'm really excited to do it because just the stuff that I've learned in the last nine or 10 months is I feel like a completely different actor. I feel like I've really done a 180 on my perspective on acting in general. And so if that's what I've (laughs) gotten to do in the first nine or 10 months, I can't imagine where I am at the end of a contract. So Esme came into the picture of Port Charles as Spencer or Spence's uh, girlfriend and partner in crime sort of just as fans were really falling in love with the developing connection between Spencer and Trina. And as that friendship quartet of um, Joss, Cam, Trina and Spencer was really being solidified. So let's talk about your real life dynamics in that circle of colleagues of yours, starting with your on-screen beau, Nicholas. How would you describe your relationship with him? I think at first, especially, it was kind of nice to know that um, somebody else was just starting out Um, and we were both sort of trying to navigate that and help each other out in a lot of ways. And it was interesting that we were both kind of going to each other for advice in a lot of ways when we both didn't really know what we were doing. Um, (laughs) but there was a comforting aspect to that. Yeah. Working on stream with him, it's been very interesting to both kind of like watch each other grow and see how our relationship on screen is shifting as well, because gotten some really fun scenes to do lately. And I think the best way to describe our on-screen relationship is sort of a 
Mr. and Mrs. Smith vibe. And I have some scenes that we're filming this week that I'm really excited about because I feel like these are the true Mr. and Mrs. Smith scenes coming up. And I think that's really, really fun because that's kind of been the basis of our on-screen relationship. And that's the first thing we both said to each other as actors. We were like, this relationship is Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And that was kind of undeniable. There was no other relationship in cinematic history that we were <laughs> even slightly considering. And that's also what the executive producer told us later. So we were like, okay, we're glad this is working. Well, tell us about your relationship with Ina McCoy. Oh, she's so fun. I, I really admire her work ethic. Like she's in school full time. She's working full time. She's on a division one sports team. She's kind of superhuman in my brain. I don't know how she finds the time for everything, but she does. And I, yeah, I am just so impressed by her. It's she's fantastic. And I think I've gone to her a lot for advice and she's been super helpful and um, very understanding. And I like that she really tells stuff as it is. That's very helpful to hear as like an actor. And especially because she really grew up on the show. She, she gets it. If anyone on the set gets it out of the teens, it's her. So she's, she's a pro. And what about Mr. William Lipton, the real life puppy dog, as you described him to me, who plays Cameron? I was just about to say that exact same phrase again, because <laughs> that's really how I describe him. Um, yeah. He's just such a sweetheart and such a goofball, honestly, in the best way possible. And so working with him, you know, you're always going to giggle at some point. And um, honestly, I don't feel like we've had a ton of um, stuff to do lately. So I don't, I haven't really seen him that much. I probably worked with him two days this year. So I haven't seen him in a bit, but I know he's living his best college life. He's doing his music. He's, he's working. He's also such an incredibly hard worker and a, and a very, very nice, genuine human being. And that's always lovely and refreshing to see and work with. And yeah, they're, they're both great. Mm -hmm. And what about Sydney Michaela, who was playing Trina until recently? Oh, I love Sydney. I miss her. Um, she is another one of those people that's just such a pro and such a hard worker. I feel like I'm explaining them all the same way. And while they all are all very like different individuals, obviously, I think they have a lot in common in terms of their work ethic and how they approach life in, in, in a way just I mean, they're in, in ways child stars. And I think that that's a very unique experience to have. And now them all going to college and being the exact same age, it's, it's, it's something where you're going to see a lot of commonality and they, they're all just such pros. And I think that's why I'm so impressed with them because they've been doing this for years and they've really got it down. And I think they're um, really genuinely nice people and they've got their stuff together in ways that I can't even imagine. And I'm just, I'm impressed by them all the time. Well, there was recently a recast there, and Trina is now being played by Tatiana Ali. So that's, I think, your first experience with a major recast within your storyline grouping. But what has it been like to work with her thus far? Yes. So that was really uh, an interesting thing to kind of adjust to because I hadn't had uh, a recast within oh, I don't think I've had a recast at all since I've been on, but I might be mistaken, at least not somebody that I've gotten to work with. Um, and it was definitely a shift because while it's the same character, it's a different person portraying that character. So obviously there's going to be some things that are different and you kind of adapt and you're going from having, in my case, nine, more, nine months worth of 
history with somebody to kind of starting over in a lot of ways. And she was just kind of thrown to the wolves with storylines and page count and everything. Well, right whose on. fault is that, you uh, framer? But sorry, continue. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so I was very impressed with um, all the stuff she had to do. Like she really came in at a time that was a lot of heavy material. I mean, somebody who's getting arrested and trying to navigate that and a lot of like very complex relationships with everyone she's saying. And now she's got maybe a little bit of a romantic interest that's not Spencer now. So we're going to see how that goes. But um, yeah, I, Taviana has been great. She's super sweet. I have enjoyed talking to her. I haven't gotten to work with her a ton yet. So I'm I'm really excited to see uh, what kind of stuff we get moving forward. Well, um, as Esme, you get to also work with some veteran fan faves like Jeannie Francis, who plays Laura, for one. So tell us about the experience of working with Jeannie. Oh, she's so sweet. I, I adore working with her, and I love getting to do scenes with her because as an actress, I just trust her completely. And so... Holly and I will talk about our scenes and I'm just like, you know what? I really don't want notes on these. I'm just going to sit there and I'm going to do what feels right then because I really do trust whatever decisions Jeannie's making. And um, I think to be at a level where um, you can do your job and um, watch somebody like that. It's just, it's such a cool learning opportunity and she's such a sweetheart and such a pro. And I mean, she knows this world better than anybody else does. And um, she's, told me a bit about how like soaps used to be and how much they've changed and kind of hearing that they used to be on these rotating sets where they filmed it essentially live. And like, if you messed up a line or dropped something, you were just going to drown. And that's what it was. And I was like, Oh my goodness. I was freaking out about having essentially one take for something, but I at least get to do a pickup if something goes wrong. So never mind. I take anything back that I said about being stressed. Um, that sounds terrifying. So it's just really fun to, to hear how things used to be and to see how things are now. And yeah, I think she's one of those people that you just immediately feel very, very comfortable around. And um, yeah, she talks to anybody and everybody. She's happy to run lines whenever. And I, I, I think she's just a really sweet person. Well, pretty early on, viewers got a sense that Esme had some sort of connection to Ryan Chamberlain. And uh, now we know that she's his daughter. So you were actually in on that secret fairly early as well. But it was like just a suspicion at first. But tell us how you put the pieces together and, and got the got the word. So I believe it was in like the first 10 episodes that I filmed. It might have even been less than that. Maybe the first five. I was it, it was an interesting perspective as an actor to kind of come into a show where like I really only had a tie to one person on the show and that was Spence at least to my knowledge at the time so I remember we had those scenes in Spring Ridge where I'm talking to Harmony and Alexis about locked in syndrome and then I say something completely different later when I'm in front of Ryan and I just kind of remember reading over the scenes and being like I really feel like this is my dad. And I don't know what prompted that for me because I had sadly zero history for the show. And it's a very long history to have to try and catch yourself up on. And at that point, I think it had been three weeks. So I was doing all the research that I could, but um, you know, there's a lot of characters and a lot of storylines and a lot of episodes to sort of fill yourself in on. So I don't know. I just had a feeling and I, I can't remember who directed that episode. It was either Fido or Gary. I think it might've been Gary. And um 
we did our camera blocking in the morning and I went, Hey, um, do you know what Ryan and Esme's relationship is? Because I kind of feel like that's my dad. And Carrie was like, Oh, let me check on that. And he went away and later during rehearsal, apparently he tried to find me at some point in between blocking and rehearsal and it didn't end up working. Um, but when I got back from rehearsal, John was like, Oh, she doesn't know. And I was like, no, what? And John was like, Oh, you're my daughter. I was like, okay, cool. That makes more sense. And Gary was like, Oh yeah, I tried to find you. Da, 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 da. That is your dad. You've been in contact with him. And I was like, Whoa, okay. All right. Let me rework everything I just did. All right. Five, four, three, two, one. And those are the scenes. Um, so I, I think that was very fun and I am almost very glad that it worked out that way because I think that those scenes then got to have a very fun level of like excitement to them for her and the concept of like flying by the seat of your pants and maybe seeing your real dad in person for the first time and getting to communicate with him when he's in a state like this that I wouldn't have maybe gotten to experience in the same ways if I had had the time to prepare that. So I think that there was something very genuine and very uh, real about that. So I, I'm glad that that's how it turned out. And then it later turned into a guessing game for me about who my mom was. And I made a couple suggestions to Frank Valentini and it was like, no, Avery. And would like walk away. I, like, <laughs> I keep guessing then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you got to love John for his honesty. Uh, tell us about working with him. Oh my gosh. I love John. He's great. He's just hysterical. Um, and I think, especially considering now our scenes have very much shifted from where they started to this interesting relationship, to say the least. Um, I think making those scenes as comfortable as possible filming-wise and learning to navigate this very bizarre relationship has been interesting. And actually the thing that I was referencing earlier about really having some background on, um, my character came from an email John sent, which shout out to John. Thank you very much. Um, I stopped him in the hallway one day and I was like, Hey, I would love to fill in the same information for our relationship together because I feel like it's important. We were both kind of, we would have experienced the same things in terms of the first time we met, the first time we talked, the letters that we're sending back, all of that. And I feel like they could really inform the scenes in terms of keeping us on the same page. Um, and so he sent a, an email to some of the writers and we got some information back that was very, very helpful. And so I think doing that was, was very good for our scenes. And this was right before the reveal that he could walk and talk. Um, so having that information as a basis to kind of run with, especially because our relationship hadn't been seen on screen before in that capacity. Um, but we had had that kind of relationship off screen to an extent, um, because she knew that he could walk and talk. So, um, that was, that was important to have that basis. And yeah, he's just, he's so funny. He's the first person to ad lib stuff. He's the first to crack a joke. Like it's just, we've had some very hysterical moments. So it's, it's always a fun time to work with it, with him. And it's very refreshing. Well, we found out that, uh, you know, not only is she working, uh, kind of with, had been working with Spencer to break up Nicholas and Ava, but an even bigger, more criminal force wants Nicholas and Ava broken up. So you have also been in the mix of things with Marcus Coloma, who plays Nicholas, and Maura West, who plays Ava. So tell us about them as team partners. Maura is so fun. 
and also such a pro. I think I've watched her drop maybe two lines in the entire time I've worked with her. Like she's just so on top of it. And I think she always makes very interesting choices. And I think I really enjoy learning from her just because one, she's a fantastic actress Two, our characters are sort of in the same realm of people. So I think that that makes it really interesting for Esme and Nicholas's relationship at this rate too, because they are very similar. So it would make quite a bit of sense um, for Esme to work certain angles, given that she knows how Ava behaves. And um, Marcus Coloma is great. I could talk to him for hours. He's, he's such a sweet dude. And um, yeah, we run lines in the green room a lot. He's, we've had scripts where there were scheduling changes because of COVID that we both had to memorize 45 pages the night before and just go out and do it. And we're both like, can you help me memorize in the green room day of like, all right, we got it. We're, we can do this. It's fine. And so that's nice to um, have somebody to, who's totally down to help out in scenarios like that. And um, yeah, he's super fun. And I'm excited for fans to see what happens next. So Esme has been up to a whole lot of no good pretty much since the day she arrived in Port Charles, but certainly stooped to a new level when she drugged Trina, recorded Joss and Cam having sex at the cabin, and subsequently released the footage and framed Trina as the culprit. So obviously you did not concoct this scheme, the writers did, but as the person tasked with playing it, what do you think Esme was hoping to achieve? I think that a lot of Esme's actions stem from insecurities and jealousy. So insecure and jealous people who are then put in a position where they get angry, I think makes some very debatable choices. And with a girl who has a tendency to go to extremes, this is sort of the product of that. And the when I got the news about what I was doing, my jaw just dropped to the floor. Um, cause I learned out, I learned about the drugging at first and then I learned about the sex scene. And then later I learned about me taping it and posting it. And I was just like, Oh Lord, I got to delete Twitter. Um, <laughs> um, it was, it was interesting because I think obviously with storylines, with a, a show that has so many characters, you, as a character and as an actor kind of go through phases of, oh, here's a bunch of work and a bunch of storyline. And, oh, here's maybe a, a time where they're focusing on other stories. So you're not quite as busy. So it was coming off a point where um, it was a little bit more of a slower time. So getting to have a bunch of content that was exciting and something that we had talked about for a while, I, I was super excited to do. Um, but definitely reading it, I went, oh no, as may what are you doing? But her job as a character really simply is to stir the pot and to create the drama and to um, give characters, these other characters, these complex feelings and these complex scenes of having to learn how to deal with a person like that. So I think that she's very fun in that respect of like her actions speak so much louder than just the scenes that she's in. She has this gigantic ripple effect, which I think is very fun as a villain. And it's very fun for the show itself. Cause I mean, you look at something like a sex tape being posted and that's an incredibly violating experience for the people involved, but it also speaks volumes for um, the kind of age we're in with media nowadays and how easy it is for that to happen and the fallout from that, that's just horrible. Um, so I think getting to tell stories like that where for Esme, it's obviously very bad luck, but that's kind of the point. Um, and it's, 
it's a difficult thing, I think, for some people to watch. But at the end of the day, I do think that this is a story that, while very messy, has a lot of positives to it in that viewers, in a way, can learn to empathize with the people going through this experience and having to handle these things. And I think it's really showing a double standard in Joss and Cameron's experiences and then learning to navigate to that together. And I think Eden and William have both given some brilliant performances in this. And I felt so bad for them when we were filming the scenes where Esme posts it in the um, college lecture. So I was like, oh, Lord, there are more people on set than I've done scenes with before because you're filling a whole classroom with people and they're having to, one, watch a scene that they probably don't want to watch in the first place. Um, and then, two, have it be broadcast on on a screen for extra people to see and your whole crew and these people that you've known for years. Um and it's one of those times where you go, oh, okay, sometimes you do scenes and you know that the audience is going to watch it because it's part of the story. And, and that's fantastic. And that's the point of the job. And um, you're okay with that. But then you get into some other scenarios where you're like, oh, now my coworkers are watching this more than once. Ugh. And I, I just felt really bad. I know that they were both as humans, very embarrassed, and they were just trying to do what, what they could to get through those. And um, I think that they both did a wonderful job. And the scenes with Eden and um, Laura Wright in Carly's Kitchen, I just, I absolutely love those scenes. I think Eden and Laura both gave absolutely brilliant performances. And I think that those are some of my favorite scenes that I've watched on the show. And I think that really speaks volumes, given the amount of content that there is. Um, but I think I've lost sight of what the initial question was, but <laughs> anyway, Eden's brilliant. William's brilliant. They're, they're doing what they can. And yeah, Esme is just a whole mess and making everybody else's lives a mess. <laughs> totally. Totally. So why do you think your character has it in for Trina the way, you know, it, it, it's, it's like an extra level of personal. I think it's an extra level of personal because she knows that she's losing her boyfriend, which I think in, in many ways is her best friend. And so watching that slowly play out of her, she doesn't really fully trust anybody, but watching the person that she does trust to an extent go and have this friendship and then more complex relationship is just sort of like this slow burn. You're constantly watching someone who you love, even if it's not maybe the traditional sense, um, fall in love with somebody else, that's going to hurt anybody. And I think that that's just human. And it is a reminder for Esme that she is human. So I think she doesn't really know how to properly work through those emotions because no one's ever showed her how, and no one's ever guided her in her life. Navigating that one as an 18 year old kid. And then two, as a human in her first real romantic relationship, even if it stems from something that's not traditional and maybe not healthy. And even though their relationship is as toxic as they come, it's still incredibly painful for her to watch because at the end of the day, this is the one person who I'm using air quotes has her back. And I think that above all else, Esme really knows that Trina is a real threat to her because she is an amazing person. And so the fact that she's being essentially beat in her own relationship by someone who's just a better person than she is, she doesn't know how to handle it. Mm -hmm. 
Well, to that end, do you think Esme has genuine feelings for Spence or is their whole relationship just a means to an end for her? So I very truly like go back and forth on this as, as an actor and, and, and even my day-to-day choices. And I think that for once in my life, I can make a justification for not having a true concrete choice for something because I think Esme goes back and forth on it and there's peaks and troughs in their relationship. And she... I don't really think she knows how to love properly, but that doesn't mean she doesn't deserve love from anyone. It doesn't mean that she doesn't deserve to have a happy, healthy relationship at some point. Um, But I think that even if this stemmed from kind of being a setup in a way or placing herself in the right position at the right time in order to befriend and quote unquote, fall in love with Spencer, she is still spending a lot of time with him they are still something for each other. And I do think that they both understand to a certain extent what it's like to be alone at a young age and not have that guidance that a lot of people need um, to grow up. And so of course that there's going to be some commonalities there. And of course there's going to be some level of understanding and connection and feeling whether or not it's love in a sense of that's who she's meant to be with forever. I think she loves the situation that he can put her in, in a lot of ways. I think that even if some other option came along, she could make the same justification for what she's made with Spencer. And yeah, I I still go back and forth, but I think at the core of it, there's love there, even if it's not the guiding force all of the time. But I do think where Esme's feelings and love speak a lot louder within this relationship is actually her feelings towards Trina and her relationship with Spencer rather than just Esme and Spencer as a, as a couple. Mm-hmm. Well, Esme is like the classic paradigm of the soap opera troublemaker, very scheming, very devious, and the audience loves to hate her. And I, as I've told you before, I've been so impressed by your good sense of humor, about her many Twitter nicknames, (laughs) and your maturity at being able to like separate the hate that Esme gets online with, you know, how the audience feels about you, Avery. Um, Has that been a process for you to realize that, you know, it's all in good fun and that that stuff isn't meant toward you personally, it's directed, you know, at the character you bring to life? Yes, I I truly don't have any problems with what people are saying about Esme, but when you get the few comments where it is directed um, at your performance or it's directed at you as as an artist, those of course hurt. No one wants to hear that they suck, but um, I, I think that's just part of putting yourself in a position of telling a story and as a creative that um, is in a position of there are lots of people watching you. No, like no one on the planet, even Leonardo DiCaprio is having a a 100% full fledged force of love towards every single performance he's ever given. There's always going to be somebody that is unhappy with it. There's always going to be someone that's like, Oh, they're not good. Or, Oh, they're overrated. It's just, it's part of, I don't want to say the game, but it really is. Um, so you kind of have to know that going in. That doesn't mean there haven't been some times where I'm like, Oh, well that one hurt and kind of learning to process it and realizing like, you know what, Hey, that's one opinion out of hundreds. And at the end of the day, the only opinions that really matter to me are the ones from the people that I work with, because 
they're the ones helping me create Esme and they're the ones helping tell Esme's story and they're the ones helping move the show's story along. And that's really what matters. So as long as the people that I'm working with are happy and I'm happy with the choices that I'm making as Esme, then I think anything online is just, it's, it's an added bonus or an added drawback, whichever way you want to look at it at the time. But um, I'm glad that people are entertained. I think that's, that's part of my job. So if, if you're talking about Esme and she's driving you crazy, then I'm so glad that she's driving you crazy. Um, and you know what, sometimes there are choices that Esme makes where I'm like, Oh no, um, <laughs> but it, it's part of telling the story. And I think that that's, what's more important because if fans always got what they wanted 100% of the time, it wouldn't be necessarily good television because one of the lovely things is that you're not always expecting what's going to happen or you have that debate of, Oh, I want this to happen, but maybe this is going to happen. Who's her dad? Is it this person? Is it that person? And that's part of the fun. And that's part of the experience of telling these stories. So I think that's really what should take precedence rather than if everyone online is being nice or mean. No. Right. Well, not only do you have a very demanding job acting on General Hospital, but you were also in school. So it seems like it would be quite a challenge to do both simultaneously. How do you manage it? Um, sometimes I manage it. Okay. Sometimes I manage it. Not as okay. Um, but I, I really have to shout out Sydney, William and Eden cause they're doing it way more than I am. So I want to make sure that is said loud and clear. Um, but that being said, I, I only took one class last semester because I was moving and I was, um, doing all of this stuff. So I was like, you know what, I'm in a new job. I want to make sure that my job comes first and I want to make sure that I'm putting everything that I can into Esme and GH and that really took precedent. And now I've started to like go back, um, not quite full-time yet, but, um, I'm still in school part-time and I'm managing. Okay. At the moment, um, I'm happy with my grades. So that makes things easier versus when I'm not happy with my grades and I'm very academically competitive. So (laughs) it's a big, it's a big influence, but, um, I think now I've found more of a routine and I've learned how to balance it better while also still trying to have a life. Um, and that I think is a big thing. And it's what I'm really learning is that it just takes practice. Um, so Eden, William and Sydney, they had all been doing the school and work thing, maybe not their entire lives, but for a big chunk of it. So they're more practiced at it than I am. So I'm still working my way up to full-time school and full-time work, but, um, and I may not get to full-time school. I, I really love my job and that's, um, what I want to do. So I'm taking that as seriously as I can. And, um, yeah, school's, school's fine. I'm taking a sociology class and a law class and reading a lot of, a lot of stuff. Um, (laughs) lots of contract law, which super exciting guys. Um, it'd be very helpful someday. (laughs) That's why I'm taking it, (laughs) but yeah, I'll get a degree at some point. It just might take me 10 years. (laughs) All good, I say. All in good time. Um, so August will mark the one-year anniversary of your General Hospital debut, which is pretty amazing. So before we let you go, like, how would you summarize how being cast on GH has changed your life? Wow. I First of all, I can't believe August will be a year already. That's insane. It's flown by, but at the same time, I feel like so much has happened. Um, and... I, I can't wait to see where Esme goes. Like she's already done so much and what seven months of airtime now. I'm really guessing with that number. Um, but it's just, yeah, kind of wild. Like, I mean, she's already drugged somebody. She's released a sex tape. I almost said something I can't say yet. Um, <laughs> I found out about her dad. It's been a lot. So, I mean, there's, 
she's like cars on fire. Like, so if that's where she's starting, Lord help us all. Um, but oh Lord, I think a year of GH is just, it's still just wild to me. Um, but I've really learned a lot. And I think that I've just, I've fallen into this place where like, I, I wanted something like this for so long. So getting to do it is really, really a blessing. And I, I'm still learning to navigate everything. I, I, I don't think that this is ever like a, oh, I, there's a day where I figured it out. I figured it out now. That's not it at all. It's still a work in progress. And I mean, I worked 10 years to um, get to where I am. And I, I'm very grateful for that. And all the people who have helped me along the way, because it wasn't, it really, really, really wasn't just me. Like there are so many people that I, I, I owe a lot to. And yeah, it's just, I still can't believe it some days because you're just sort of like, walking in this weird fever dream of, wait, I'm actually doing this. And this is my life. I get to play pretend for a living. And that's, that's so fun. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to see how things go and getting a routine down better and, you know, adding back some life things into the mix soon. And, um, like going back to dance a little bit more and, you know, finding that like good work life balance. And I feel like it's really shifted in this new year. Um, and I feel in a much better place because at first it was very overwhelming. And I, I think I put a lot of stress and importance on, on my job, which is great, but also like it was a big source of stress in some ways. And I think I'm learning to like trust myself way more and I'm working my instrument way more. So it's easier to trust myself and, you know, you always have those days where it's like, oh, I really didn't like how those turned out, um, those scenes. And I know I could have done so much better. And you just kind of have to say, well, they're going on air and there's nothing you could do about it. So learning to take those days better, I think, is is something I need to work on because it's very much a humbling experience when you're like, oh, I don't like those. And there's nothing I can do about it of just knowing what the potential some scenes had and knowing you weren't on it that day. But that's going to happen when you're doing a show like this because there is so much content and because you know you can't be 110% all the time like you're still human um but learning to make it work for you on the day and um learning to be with it and i i think just keeping a work ethic up of always being on top of your stuff is is incredibly important and i know i get to work with really fun people and um i get to learn a lot from them and i I feel like a broken record. I've learned so much. I'm so grateful, but like it, it really is true. And I, I, I can't wait to see what happens. Well, neither can we. Um, it's been so great talking to you and just watching, you know, your storyline evolve on the show. And we really do look forward to seeing what's coming next. Um, Esme is a breath of fresh air, <laughs> as are you. So thank you so much for your time today. And we look forward to watching you, you know, seeing what comes. We look next. forward to rooting against you for many oh. years to come. <laughs> thank you both so much. This was so much fun. I, I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time. This was great. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you to Avery Pohl for being our guest. If you like this podcast, please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Be sure to pick up a new issue on sale now and come back next week for another podcast. <laughs>